Hey everyone, welcome back to the 24 Faithful Podcast. I'm Bradley Adams, joined as always by Joel Wood. And we're here this week for the last time. This is the last podcast, um, certainly of this iteration of the podcast. We have completed our rewatch of the original series. And we are here today to wrap things up, just talk generally about the the nine seasons. We've got a load of award categories to give out of our best and worst moments or, or, or best and worst of certain um, categories. And we'll be doing that today. But uh, Joel, I'm kind of hopeful that we don't end the podcast either on the run or in a Russian prison. So that's probably that. that's my first aim today. Well... I don't think anybody wants to be in a Russian prison, but I also don't want to be in a Chinese prison. <laughs> so basically anything with the word prison in it is kind of out of my realm. Yeah. Let's not end up like Jack. Um, let, let, let's not do that. But uh, have you enjoyed the, the rewatch that we've done over the last year? Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of why I, why I decided to come back and do the podcast in the first place. I enjoy it all nine seasons not talking about that one season that refuses to be named um but i enjoyed all nine seasons even parts of the seasons i didn't like i was able to find some positivity in those seasons there wasn't a single season that i could just go from beginning to end and be like i hated the whole season i hated everything there was nothing redeeming about it it was a chore to get through the season. Every season had its positive moments. Even if overall the quality wasn't there, I was still able to find enjoyment in those uh, in every season. So that was a uh, that's part of the reason why I why I agreed to do this because you you don't find that very often. You know, a lot of shows they start off with a bang and then they kind of fizzle out. You know, as it gets later on in the in the run. But this one started with a bang and it pretty much ended with a bang. Hmm. Yeah, even for me, season six, that I have relentlessly criticized on this podcast. There are there are good bits in season six. So I'm in agreement with you on that. And uh, this sort of leads into our first our first section, which is a ranking. But did anything surprise you when you watched it through? Because for me, I was certainly surprised by how good season two was and how impressed I was by the first half of season three. Um, and again, playing into the rankings that we'll talk about in a second, but how actually when you stop and watch it and think about it, how how low on the list I'd put season four. That, those were some of the things that surprised me. How about you? Season seven was probably better than I remembered because I've always, I've always looked down and had a negative opinion of season seven because of the obvious uh, plot hole in the last six episodes that uh, we don't have enough time in the podcast to go into today. Other than that, I do remember season season three being a little bit better than I had anticipated. Um, when I was when I was going through my rankings, I was kind of debating whether to put season three or live another day. I was kind of debating back and forth. But yeah, I don't think any season was worse than I had in, than I previously thought but there were a couple of seasons that were better than i remember watching well it's interesting because i've got the uh the rankings that you sent over here and obviously my current ones now um alongside that the ones that we did a year ago on the first couple of episodes of the podcast 
And interestingly, I mean, you've you've moved season three down. It was what uh, fifth on the list, and now it's seventh. And you've moved season seven uh, down a place as well. Uh, <laughs> but season one has taken a, a huge hike from you for from being third last to being third best now. Yeah, uh, season one was a lot. My main my main gripe with season one is obviously the Nina reveal. I mean, not the we, amnesia. We, we we well, I'm getting there. We've discussed it ad nauseum. I've already expressed all of my thoughts on the Nina reveal. There's nothing new that I can tell you that you don't that you haven't already heard. Um, Terry Bauer, obviously, we'll get to her in a minute because she's on one of my lists. Terry Bauer brought down the overall enjoyment, but once I rewatched it. Um, and noticed the once you get past the Terry and Kim stuff, which was for the most part kind of cringe, the rest of the season played out pretty, pretty good, especially when you you look at the the initial um, characters of Tony and Jack and, and Palmer and you look at how their characters manifested over the series. So it was it was it was a better than I anticipated series and it also has one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. So the finale? The finale, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll obviously talk about that later in the podcast as well. I mean, I I rewatched season 1. I think it must have been a couple of months before Legacy because I remember talking to certainly Mark and, and I think you and Josh as well about it that I rewatched it and, and I was really quite staggered actually at how impressive it was. I'd always sort of remembered it as the, the everyone thinks of it as being quite fast paced. I'd sort of seen it as a slow one compared to what it became 24. And I went through it and it was endlessly fascinating. And I, I was even more amped up by it this time around. So that was quite nice. And as I mentioned previously, like season four actually drifted a long way down my list because as we talked about at the time, there's a lot of, I don't want to say plot holes, but there's a lot of, of very loose plotting. Whereas the first three seasons and, and season one that we've just typed there felt very, very tight, even with the Terry stuff, even with the Kim stuff, even with the amnesia and, and, and some of the stuff that doesn't quite land. It always felt like that there, there, there was a real kind of tight grasp of the plot that they were doing, even if it wasn't quite what they should be doing it felt like there was a coherent structure to right at this point, this thing is going to happen because at this point we need this thing to happen kind of, kind of scenario season four, just, it, it was the most, it was the first jump into the real throw everything at the wall and see what six type that four to six was. And it just didn't quite land for me, which like it's ridiculous as well, because there, there are so many good episodes and moments in that, that I just love but as and you know if i was if i was to do a complete mad 204 episode ranking list i would say that a lot of the season 4 episodes are going to be quite high but as a season it's it's so weird i don't quite understand how they've managed to make such like the smaller parts of the content are great but at large it kind of falls down a bit season 4 is quite high on my list and i just i enjoyed it because of the characters involved it was our first it was our first look at logan it was our you know first 
look at um, Heller and Audrey and, Jack, and, and, and the Jack-Audrey relationship. Quite a few of my, of my, or a few of my categories here are related to season four because I enjoyed, I didn't enjoy everything about season four, but I enjoyed most of it. And that's, that's my barometer is out of 24 episodes, if there's only, if there's only like maybe three or four that I consider filler or that I don't like in the overall plot, I consider that a, a, a win for me. I consider that a, a good to great season. Season six had more episodes that I didn't like than episodes that I liked. So that's the opposite effect. <laughs> so season season four, I thought, you know, some of the action sequences, um, it had it had Jack in a different, different role. You know, the first three seasons was pretty much Jack either in charge at CTU or out of the game completely. But in season four, he's in a he's in a different, he's in a diplomatic role. You know, he doesn't need to be Jack Bauer torturing people and and you know lighting lighting people on letting people die on operating tables and stuff like that. So it was kind of it was kind of a new dynamic. And I love the way that Keith that Kiefer and uh, William Devane just play off of each other. Uh, they have such great on-screen chemistry to me, even more even more so than than him and Kim, in my opinion. But I just that whole dynamic just worked for me. Mm, that's fair enough. And just for posterity, I'm going to run through uh, my ranking. I don't know if you want to do the same, but uh, mine is from obviously best to worst would be five, one three, two, nine, seven, four, eight, and then finally season six. Mine are season five, season four, one, two, seven, nine, three, eight, and six. We've got a very similar list. It's just that the four and three are, are pretty much swapped in our list. Otherwise... It looks very similar to me. Yeah, I'm gonna have to respectfully disagree with you on that. <laughs> you can't disagree with the literal facts of the fact that those are the two main differences. No, but I can d- disagree with you on the fact that four is so low on your list. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, well, let's move into the categories then. Uh, so we're gonna start off with character, and this is this is least favorite only, simply because best is jack or tony right like there's no this isn't really a debate or a discussion not really it has to be it has to be jack or tony i mean i'm sure i'm sure some of the female listeners will probably say chloe but chloe is the chloe is also it's it's one of those three basically yeah like it's gotta it's gotta be one of those three there there are characters that i'm fond of bill and and everyone like that but it's really hard to look past any of those three so we'll skip that um because it's a little bit boring we'll go on to the worst instead Who's your worst character, Joel? Terry Bauer. I mean, there's there's really no debate here, um, for me anyway. Um, Terry was in a good chunk of season one. And 98% of what she was involved in absolutely sucked. I mean, she's a a great actress. You know, I've seen her in some other things, and she's a little less annoying. But the way they... 
I don't know if it's her overacting or if it's the way they wanted her portrayed, but she was just annoying from like the first time I saw her on my screen. Like the 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 damsel in distress, the the nagging voice, the the amnesia angle, probably the worst storyline in the history of the show. Just the whole the whole thing about it was just constantly asking when's Jack coming home, even though Jack's out saving the world. Just the whole thing, just I didn't the only part that I didn't hate, I guess, was the the implied, even though it wasn't directly mentioned, but the implied uh rape angle. And then the subsequent when they when they finally when they finally escaped and got away. That was probably the only part that I didn't hate. But the rest of it, I, I, I don't think I found any redeeming qualities. Hmm. I've gone for a different Bauer family member. Uh, that would be Philip, as I'm sure you were predicting. Um, I figured that. Yeah, for me, I, he just there's there's no point to him. At least with Terry, I can I can see there are issues with Terry. Don't get me wrong, but I can see that there's a point to it. It works very much within the, the narrative of season one and, and the emotional beats to it. Whereas with Philip, there's no purpose to him. He's not he's not a villain, really. He's a char- he's an evil character. He comes in and he's not really a threat of himself apart from killing people with his own gun. And that, that's fairly, you know, like anyone can kill people with their own gun. Like there, there's, it's not a big bad situation here. The only reason it's a big bad situation is because he's Jack's dad. And when you well, fi- I mean, everybody needs an evil dad, Bradley. Well, I don't think Jack Bauer did. I don't think he did. When you factor in the the stuff with Gradenko and um, selling the the, the nuclear bo- the weapons and the involvement with the Chinese at the end, like he disappears for ten hours and then comes back and you kind of forgot that he existed in the first place. Sends him to Lo- Jack to Logan for reasons, but then still is trying to do whatever wants to take his grandson to China and give him a new life, even though he'll clearly hate it. It's really bad. It's really bad. And James Cromwell, this feels really below him. And I mean, you can tell from the performance, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, not not a fan of Philip Bowery, in case that wasn't abundantly obvious. Uh, so let's move on then. So scene. So the best scene. This was a tough Because there were, really so, tough. there were so many great scenes that I could have picked. And I went back and rewatched some of them, like some of them that came off the top of my head. Um, you know, obviously I looked them up to see which episode it was, um, but I went and rewatched some of them. And the one that I came up with was probably the scene in season two with Jack on the plane. Um, he's going to take it down. This George Mason has not made himself known yet. And his phone call with Kim. That's probably, and you know, you know my feelings on Kim Bauer. Like she's, she's about 60, 40 with me, 60% of the stuff I hate, but just that, that entire scene and the emotion and the chemistry, it really, it really made you believe, even though Jack was the lead character, obviously, it made a casual viewer believe for a little while that maybe this is it maybe jack is actually going to die and i thought that was that was what you wanted in that scene because 
you never think the Jazz actually going to die because he's the lead character. You know, it's him or nothing. So I thought that they did a good job um, having you believe that something was actually going to happen. And of course, the great part of that is that that's episode 39, I think. And so you say that it's the lead character and you know that nothing's going to happen to Jack. But actually, you don't know for certain. They killed Terry Barrow in season one. They're killing Mason here. Um, they've they've done all sorts of, of, of character deaths of people that you think might actually have some sort of long association with the show. Um, so, yeah, you know, it is feasible that Jack could die. And, and quite frankly, even if he doesn't, you know, we know that he doesn't. And still, all these years on, I watched that scene and it's it's one of my favorites. I absolutely love it. Uh, but the one I've selected is actually a few minutes later, and it's uh, it's Mason revealing himself and having the conversation with Jack, which is just it is it is the peak of the Mason redemption, higher than his uh, any of the stuff with his son or with giving Tony the basically the keys to CTU, and it's also the peak of that entire season two arc of, of Jack in his depressive state from season one's uh, season one's events of. Jack, like you said, prepared to sacrifice himself. He, this is his death. He's he's very much at peace with this. And Mason, who is already dying, won't last much longer. Giving him this way out and 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 calling on calling him on it and and saying to him, "Well, hang on a minute. This is is this what you want? Is this really what you want? Are you content doing this, or actually, do you want to be a real hero and go and find out what's behind all of this, sort things out in your life, and continue being you." And, and and being the hero that you that we all know you are, and that for me, the emotion in that from from Zander and from Kiefer, Sean Callery's score, utterly magnificent, just just so 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 good. I could rewatch that endlessly and never get bored of it. It's I, I love it. So we both have we both have a fond affinity for that episode, basically. Yes, and it's one of the I think I, I'm doing this offhand, so I could be wrong, but I think there are only two episodes that won a directing emmy and that was one of them so you can tell i mean everyone think, thinks that's one of the best episodes and, and you can see yeah yeah uh let's jump on to worst worst scene well this, this is a no-brainer okay you Agreed. probably know where i feel I'm, like we're gonna, prob- we're gonna have know, different answers you know where i'm going with this yeah okay the reveal of Tony as a villain. The reveal of Tony Almeida as a villain that he had been playing Jack all along. The, the scene where he basically kills Larry Moss, reveals himself to be a villain, I thought could have killed the series. I mean, you hate it for the the, the Tony reveal element, like, like that kind of, you hate it for those reasons. I dislike it because it's a really bad scene. Like, there's no, there's no tension to it. When I say there's no tension to it, there's no. This is the thing I've pointed out before that there are certain scenes and certain situations that Twenty Four does where the outcome that happens is the only possible outcome. And so, yes, it, you know, it's it's possibly going to going to surprise a lot of people at first, but there's no. You can't look back at it and think actually this is quite a good twist. Because the actual handling of it feels, well, yeah, Tony is either going to die, which they're probably not going to do, or that he's he's working with them. 
Like that's it. That's it. That's how. That's that's why I dislike it. Obviously, alongside the Tony thing, it just it just made no sense to me. Because, as I mentioned before, several hours before that, he kills his closest friend, Emerson, and tells him that, you know, killing millions of people is a line that I would never cross. And then not even what 12 hours later that's exactly what he's trying to do i will forever loathe that scene for me it's milo's death in season six people talk a lot about curtis's death and how that's kind of the worst moment of the show there's a there's a guy on youtube that puts up 24 clips that you know i love that channel because 24 clips and that's titled on there curtis's death worst scene in 24 and I just, I don't agree. I think it is bad, but I think it's interesting from a Jack perspective. I think with Milo's death, it is very much the summary of everything that went wrong in season six and everything that went wrong with the way that they tried to position the show and the the things that they took out of the un, like flawless success of season five was that everything had to be a twist. Everything had to be the shock factor. Every five minutes, there had to be something that would make viewers be like, Oh my God. And this is, this is the example of it. And there's no purpose to it. And, and I think we've discussed off air about um, the, the wanting to get rid of the actor, Eric Balfour. And yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of behind the scenes nonsense that it went beh- went into it, but it felt, you know, it felt very vindictive of, of getting rid of, of that character and it felt out of place and it just, it, it doesn't work. There's no need for it within the context of the story and you know kill milo if you want but just just find a more interesting way to do it um rather than the way that the way that it happened of him standing up and protecting nadia and being shot when he's no threat to anyone it, it felt like an excuse that, that they wanted to to kill someone inside ctu without actually earning it plus i didn't like the relationship between him and nadia i just felt like that was forced yeah it's not great it's not great but that that's no excuse to kill him in a in a reckless fashion. Well, he shouldn't he shouldn't have he shouldn't have asked off the show. When you ask <laughs> off of twenty four, this is the price you pay, Bradley. Nobody that's, that's, ask off twenty four. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, then. So, uh, quote, best quote. This was impossible to narrow down. I narrowed it down to two, and I'm going to give you both of them. The first one, season seven, President Taylor. You resigned from government service and the Senate regards you as having been a renegade agent. How am I supposed to know where your loyalties really lie? And then Jack just matter-of-factly responds with, with all due respect, Madam President, ask around. I just thought that that quote just, it basically defined his entire existence in 44. Like you can, you can question my methods. You can question, you know, the, the tactics that I use. One thing you will not question is my loyalty. The other one, season nine, um, Jack Bauer locks himself in the computer room in the embassy. Um, there's Marines closing in on him. He tells one of the, one of the people to open the door and shoots one of them in the chest. So when he's on the phone with Heller, he says, I only grazed them, sir. And Heller's asks, 
how do you know, Jack? And Jack says, because I pulled the trigger. <laughs> just, that's just, the, that just, those two quotes just completely define Jack Bauer in a nutshell, because he's not going to pull the trigger unless he knows for a fact what he's shooting at. I really struggle to narrow this down. I have a list of 10, <laughs> which I'm not going to read all of. Um, the one thing I did, I did <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm not going to go through them all. I'll, I'll go through a couple. The one thing I did struggle to sort of reconcile with was separating a quote from a scene. So like one of the things I've written down is the Mason speaks to Jack, but I've just put that as my best scene. So I can't, I feel like I can't do that as a quote. And a lot of these, you know, I've included, I've, I've listed the, the Juma thing to President Taylor when she when he's threatened to kill Olivia and saying that all you need to know is that I most certainly will kill her if you don't open the door. And and that again is because I absolutely adore that scene. Um, but there are two sort of quotes that that stick in my mind separate from from scenes. Uh, the first one that's not my pick is uh, Tony to Chappelle at the end of season two when Chappelle asks what's up and uh, he says. Well, it's like this. Either fire me or get out of my chair, which just sums up how amazing Tony had become by the end of season two, how authoritative and confident in himself and just knowing, I mean, the arrogance of knowing that he was right for the last five, six hours with Jack trying to get the Cypress audio and prove that it was fake. Absolutely wonderful to, to Chappelle. But my pick is one of the first memorable quotes of the entire series. Um, and it's from Ira Gaines, and it's with Dan, and his, well, I'll tell you, Dan, you're either dead or you're not dead. There's no such thing as sort of dead. <laughs> I mean, Michael Massey, in, like, what, 10 episodes, I think he's in, maybe 11, absolutely steals the show. He is a wonderful, wonderful first villain for 24. But I don't want to say that scene, but that quote, and, and actually the, the one before, um when Dan says about how they want their, they want their money now, if that's like, you know, okay. And Ira comes back with, well, just so we're like, you know, clear mocking Dan and, and that, that quick wit that he has immense, utterly immense. And I, if I think of quotes and, and 24, that's one of the ones that sticks in my mind most prominently. So that would be my pick. He was a good, he was a good first villain. And, and to think, he was originally supposed to be the only villain. Yes, yes. But actually, looking back at my season one notes, I can't remember if we discussed this, but I sort of said in a in, for episode thirteen that in a twelve in a thirteen episode season, the Drazens just simply don't exist, do they? It's it's just games, and he's some madman wanting to kill David Palmer. Um, so props to Michael Massey. Worst quote? Did you have one of these? Uh, I didn't have one specific, but when I think of when I think of bad quotes. Um, my mind automatically takes me to Arlo in season eight because he's just like filled with him. <laughs> so, so, I mean, if you want a worse quote, you can just pull up any of Arlo's scenes and just pick one. I mean, it's just, I mean, he didn't have very many good lines and most of his lines were staring at Dana's breast and making inappropriate comments. And so, pretty pretty much anything arlo says in season eight would qualify yeah there are some some really rough lines in there certainly in that first half uh, i've got two you won't be surprised to know that both of them are from season six uh the Not first surprised. one no the first one is doyle to cornell uh 
saying, you have screwed with the wrong guy for the last time, pal. Which is just the most empty nonsense thing ever said on 24, I'm certain. Because Cornell's in that one episode who there's there's an establishment of this past. So he gives him, he gives Doyle the evidence that proves that Nadia isn't actually working with the terrorists and kind of is saving Doyle from whatever punishment for being reckless. And then outs him to Milo. And then you have this confrontation because Doyle's actually done the right thing. And then Doyle goes and like, but what's he going to do? And then you don't see him again. But it's just such an empty, empty threat because like what, what, what is it? You, you've screwed with the wrong guy for the last time. A, that implies that he screwed you before and yet you still trust him. <laughs> like what? Come on. Seriously. Seriously. There was, a, there was a lot in that, in that season that could probably go on the worst list, but I'm trying to be objective here. Well, the other one was uh, the, tell him the acting president's a dirty old man from Noah Daniels, which, no. I love Powers Booth, and he is amazing, but no. A lot of, a lot of Noah's uh, quotes in season six were kind of cringeworthy. You put a different actor in that role, he is just, he, he takes the, the Philip Bauer role and the Terry Bauer role, but uh, Powers Booth just about elevates it above that. Uh, episodes. Best episode. This was difficult, because I... Part of me wanted to put that episode in season two with Jack and the plane and Mason and, and Kim. I was almost ready to put that episode. But there's just something about the finale of season one that just kind of kind of gets me from the the scene with Palmer and Sherry, where you know he's kind of calm and asks for ask for a divorce and ask her to be escorted out and the acting from from what's what's the actress? Penny Johnson name? Gerald. Yeah, her. Her acting is just superb in the entire scene where she just acts like dumbfounded. Like you can't do this without me, you know, kind of thing. Even the Nina stuff was was okay. Once once the reveal happened, I was on I was more on board. You know, I hated the reveal itself, as you obviously know. But once once it happened, you know, I kind of I kind of got the villain vibes from her. Um, so her telling Jack that Kim was dead, and then Jack finding out that Nina lied, and then finding out that she was working with the Drazens all along. Obviously, the the shootout on the on the on the docks where he just <laughs> goes in guns blazing and just kills everybody. I was torn between that one and obviously season two episode and then the the season nine episode where Jack kills Chang. You know, those are probably my top three, which obviously, you know, it's kind of not a coincidence that two of them end with him just going on a rampage and killing everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we like Jack on rampages. Um, so. I mean, my, my top three has always been, for years now, it's been very fairly set. Um, it's always just about the order, but I think you know the season one finale that you mentioned there is utterly magnificent. Uh, the the most impressive way to end that first season in, in just the most explosive way. Um, I think season five's premiere is not necessarily. I mean, it it is one of the best episodes of television. I think it's not necessarily the best twenty four episode for me. I've actually got it number three, 
but I do think it's the best illustration of peak 24. I know that's a sentence that doesn't feel like it makes sense, but it does in my head anyway. That 24 at its its absolute power in season five very much became that. That that episode was sort of you you could boil season five and it and its quality and, and everything that it does into those first 40 minutes and say, yes, this is this is it. This is exactly what 24 now is. And oh my god, how good is this? But I I, I do I, I can't look past the Mason Jack plane episode. I just can't do it. It it's so surreal. It's the it's the outlier of 24 because there's not a gun fired in it. There's you know there's the nuclear bomb going off at the end, and Mason's the only person that dies in the whole episode. That it's it's unique. Nothing you don't ever get an episode of 24 where no one gets stabbed, no one gets shot, no one apart from one person dies. It's so it's so unique for this show. And yet those quiet moments that the show has always done particularly well just are at the fore here. Let's say we've both picked scenes from that episode as our, as our best scenes of the show. So, yeah, I, I think it is it is a tour de force from Kiefer Sutherland and Alexander Berkeley. It is it is masterfully shot and so well written and so, so much emotional heft in it, even though, you know, watching it 15 years later from from when I first saw it, that you know Jack's not going to die, that Mason's going to take the plane in and everything's going to be fine. There's still that emotional baggage, and you still feel it every single time. I, I, I remain completely in awe of it. I can, agree with, I can agree with that. That that episode of season two is probably one of my favorite episodes of the entire series because, and it's probably my favorite Kim Bauer acting scene of the entire series. <laughs> That's a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's when they, when they can make Kim Bauer likable, that's a win in my book. Mm. Yeah, worst episode. This was a tough one too. You know, I, I I basically when I was thinking about worst episode, I basically just went back to season six and eight and just tried to pick one. Um, <laughs> so um, probably if I had to pick, it would probably season eight. Um, I'm not sure the exact episode, but you'll know the one I'm talking about. The one where Cole and Dana um, kill Wade and his partner. I haven't looked in a long time, but I'm fairly sure that so that's 12 a.m. till 1 a.m. I'm fairly sure when well, it certainly was some years ago, that's the worst rated episode on IMDb. I think it was the only one that had an under... 8.0 ranking at 7.9 yeah. and the others had 8 or above <laughs> yeah, the episode was just horrible I mean the whole storyline um, I mean it's, it's not, it's not going to make my worst story thread although it was close but the entire, the entire story thread with Dana and Wade and, and his partner and Robin the 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 evidence lockup and you know Cole, Freddie Prince Jr. Cole Ortiz is probably in my top. If I had to rank him, he'd probably be in my top five of worst characters because I just could not stand him. Um, in fact, if I did have to rank a top five, three of them would be in season eight. So I mean, it's it's the whole scene, the acting, the Cole trying with a serious face, and it just. It didn't come across as believable to me. Um, 
it didn't come across like it was necessary. It's one of those, it's one of those scenes that feels out of place from the rest of the season. And you know how much I hate those. I hate scenes that are just there to be there. And season eight had a lot of them. So that's probably my worst, my worst episode. Yeah, I, I actually dislike the uh, the Taryn uh, fake out Kyler driving the CTU with the EMP episode a lot more. Um, I, I think that's, I do think that's a lot worse. But my actual pick, and, and it speaks to your thing about disliking scenes that feel out of place. Actually, it's an episode that feels completely out of place. And that's uh, 6 till 7 p.m. in day six when Jack is stuck in the uh, Russian consulate. He's completely sidelined for the space of an hour. And nothing that happens in that episode really means anything because they find out various bits of information anyway. And all of the stuff that they're trying to do actually kind of is pointless. Um, also, you, I mean, there's there's a great scene between uh, Logan and Martha, but the, you also have the ridiculous cliffhanger of him being stabbed in the shoulder and then never being heard of again for three years. Yeah, that that's that's an encapsulation of season six at its worst, I think. And I'm, st- I'm still... And we were still, the, the part that bothers me the most is that we were never given a proper follow-up to what happened in Logan in season six. Because Logan was seemingly trying to turn his life around in season six and trying to prove that he was on the straight and narrow. He gets stabbed in the shoulder, and the next time we see him, he's trying to kill Jack Bauer again. So it's, it's, like, it's like season six didn't even exist in, the Logan, retro- in the Logan canon. And retrospectively, that makes me dislike that episode even more because I actually really, I really enjoyed that sort of redemption arc that he was going through. You know, you don't want him to be redeemed, but I, I quite admired the, the sort of um, self-awareness and, and, and the, the, the attempt to change. I think that was a fairly good bit of character building. And of course, season eight kind of wrecks it. So they, did, they didn't have very many arcs of villains redeeming themselves good meant to be good characters who are actually quite annoying but redeem themselves lynn mcgill chappelle mason those characters but not villains yeah but no but no straight up villains that you know they were villains they survived and then you tried to i mean they tried they faked it out you know several times with nina obviously but we both we all knew that that wasn't going to happen <laughs> so logan was the first shot of them actually doing it I mean, I guess you can count Tony and Legacy, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just thought that it, it could have been a decent arc for them to pursue, and they just dropped it like it didn't happen. Speaking of villains, that's our next category. Your best villain, Joel. Well, this is no surprise, but it's Charles Oakley. I just, from the first time I saw him in season four, I got villain vibes from him. From the first time that I laid eyes on him in season four, I just, he had this smarmy, snaky, you know, sneaky vibe for me. Like he was up to no good. And you kind of knew in season four, at the end of season four, that he was up to no good before season five even started. When Palmer called to warn Jack that, you know, he was going to be killed by the guy that walked coming sit over there. And Jack said, you know, did the president sign off on it? No, but he's not going to do anything to stop it. That's when you kind of thought, okay, this president is not going to be a good president. 
Um, so, and then season five, you know, him playing like he's an idiot for like the first half of the season and then revealing that, you know, he was part of the mastermind of the day's events. I wanted to say Wilson, but he just wasn't in enough episodes for me. If he would have been like the main villain of season seven, instead of having Tony turn into a villain and having 34 other villains in the season, if he would have been the main villain of season seven, I probably would have put him ahead of Logan. Yeah, I do love the power and significance um, dynamic between Jack and Logan in season five. Obviously, Logan being the president and, and, and Jack being the kind of guy that does the right thing and, and, and does the right thing for the White House, having had this association with David Palmer. Um, that is very good. But actually, I really love the, the personal ones for Jack. And the one I love most is Stephen Saunders and the way that that whole thing plays out. Obviously, you've got Jack's drug addiction, which really does impact in it because it, it feels like he is sort of not broken, but uh, there there is a sort of lawlessness to him in season three that feels like we hadn't seen in seasons one or two. Um, and yes, I am. I am still remembering that he cut off a guy's head and shot him in CTU and, and got a hacksaw. Like that's still I'm still I'm saying this. Um but you know, Paul Blackthorne is Let wonderful. Go, Bradley. <laughs> Paul Blackthorne is wonderful, and I think there's a real, there's a real depth to Saunders and a real. Um, I, I feel like he is quite um, likable, and, and I think that you can see his point. You know, he he was abandoned by these people, and actually, when you think when you look at season one, and some of the stuff that's said there that I don't think Saunders knows about uh, the Drazens, obviously. Uh, sorry, Victor being taken out and 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 being a fake, and someone in the government wanting to to fail from the start, and the CIA and whatever having it like you you see how badly he was he was compromised and how badly treated he was by the government, and so obviously I don't want to condone the killings of thousands of people, but like there there's you can see his point to it. Like I'd be angry too, um, you know I I think he I think he's a fascinating character. And some of the stuff he does, killing killing Chappelle, like it, it's it's senseless murder, but it's protecting his own self interest. I, I I find him endlessly fascinating. Okay, I'll give you that. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would go as far as to say I see I see his point. You know, he's trying to kill <laughs> millions of people, and I'm not going to go that far. I didn't say yeah. I, I didn't say I see his methods. I see his point as being angry, but don't okay. kill people. That's a little harsh, but okay. <laughs> Worst villain. Well, um, I mean, I could, I could have went, you know, with one of these little small bit part villains like Rodenko. Um, he was a bad villain. Fayed, he was a bad villain. I could have went with the smaller villains, but I'm probably gonna go with Philip Bauer. He's uh, the premise was there. I liked the idea of Philip Bauer being the villain of Jack's dad being the villain. I liked the idea. The execution of it, however, was off. The execution of it was horrible. Um, because, you know, having the family dynamic with Jack is something that we hadn't seen in the previous five seasons as far as playing into the overall plot of the, of the villains. That's something that we hadn't seen. So it was fresh in a way but the execution of it um, was off from the, from the start. You know, I don't know if James Cromwell only signed on for a few episodes, but 
if he only signed on for a select number of episodes, common sense would tell you not to use the majority of those episodes in the first half of the season. If the point, if the point was to have him go until the end of the season, because then you got that gap of ten of like ten episodes where he's not there and you forget about it. So I thought that the, the execution of it was just off from the beginning. I know I picked him for my worst character, but my worst villain is not Philip Bauer. It's uh, actually someone you mentioned there, Gridenko. Philip is Philip is a bit part character promoted to being quite significant, and I hate it. But Gridenko should be a significant villain, and he pales in comparison to Fayed, but he also fails to justify his own existence. There is no purpose to him. At least with Philip, at least with Philip, there's a reason to it in, in terms of the family angle. And the emotional stuff with Jack and with Marilyn and with Josh, I can see a logic to that. It's poorly handled, but I can see a logic to it. With Gridenko, there's no need. You have you have Fayed, who is very much self-sufficient. You can have Gridenko as a guy who is in for like one episode and they sold him the drones, um, sort of like Darren McCarthy type role. Like that would be fine. But you've established him as this this big Soviet defector um, bad guy. And and what do you do with him? You you make him look really incompetent. He's the one that loses everything. He's the one that means that Fayed and himself get caught and, and Jack is on their trail. And then you cut off his arm and have him turn against Fayed for inexplicable reasons, having turned against the government and towards Fayed two minutes before. I no, I'm I'm not having it. He um yeah, Raid Sabasia, I absolutely butchered that last name i'm sure but he he he's i i i enjoy him in other things and he's completely wasted here i really don't have anything else to add on that one i didn't like rodeco either he was he was he just felt he just felt out of place and unnecessary in the in the grand scheme of the, of the entire season like there was just no point yeah waste of time for me best shootout I feel like I feel like I know. I mean, there's only there's there, there are obviously a lot of these, but I feel like there's only really a couple that it could be. For me, the best shootout is season four and Jack rescuing Heller. In my opinion, that was there may have been other shootouts that were better, longer, um, resulted in more deaths, but. Just the, you know, you talk, you talk all the time, you talk more than I do about the musical score for, you know, particular scenes and episodes and things like that. And I thought that the, the musical score and the build up to that scene to, you know, right when they get ready and Heller just kind of looks off to his, to his left and sees Jack and then he just pushes the chair back and you know, you hear Driscoll say, you know, he's doing it. And just the whole the whole build up to the to the shootout is just it's one of the, in my opinion, the best built up scenes in the entire series. Because it just gets you on the edge of your seat. And I could I couldn't find a single a single scene, single shootout. I couldn't find very many scenes that were better than that one, much less much less uh, shootout. As the uh, the resident music expert, I can confirm that that Sean Callery score is immense. Uh, I, I I really love it both from the from the the uh, quieter, tense buildup of Jack actually infiltrating the compound, and then the the sort of uh, the concerto 
big jack shooting everyone type stuff uh, which also lends actually it takes a little bit from from the trade i think from the the saunders jane uh, michelle trade in season three which is which i admire uh, and, and actually you mentioned there as well the driscoll out of he's doing it which i'm fairly sure my spine tingles at every single time i hear it and that <laughs> happens so it is it is wonderful that's probably the scene that i've rewatched the most other than the episodes that's probably the scene that i've rewatched the most out of the entire series Mm. it's definitely up there for me but my pick is jack's revenge at the docks the the first one not the season nine one again calorie i i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna contradict myself in a minute when we come to action sequence but i think that this is sean calorie at, at, at some of his best it's so impressive because you look at so many films and tv shows that that do kind of action like this and they'd go bombastic. They'd go all in on the Jacks getting getting the last villains and he's shooting them all. And it's it's really epic. And it doesn't. It doesn't go for that at all. It goes for the the somber Jack just lost his daughter and he's getting revenge. And it's him at the lowest that we've seen him and 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 the most um the most unstable and me- mentally and emotionally that we've seen him. And it plays off of that. And everything that Jack does, as we see here, and we'll see numerous times in future seasons is is completely he's completely blind to anything he's just seeing red and goes in all guns blazing and kills the drazens and it's it's it is epic in in, in its visuals it, it is utterly brilliant it's the first real indication actually of jack is the terminator you know there there have been some great moments in season one but it's the first indication you get of jack is kind of he he's reckless but he's also indestructible like he'll go into any situation completely outgunned completely outmanned and he'll just kill everyone and 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 i absolutely love it it's 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 so wonderful i don't have a worst one uh i don't really have a worse one because all the shootouts were pretty well played maybe Um, the one with um maybe the one with sergey bazayev in season eight which is a little bit dull i can see that um, I mean the shootout with with Jack and and uh, Richard Walsh in season one. Where oh, Walsh, I love that. Where Walsh got I, killed. It's, just, it's it's so understated though. Like it, you know, it's it doesn't have anywhere near the epicness of of the Heller the Heller recovery or or so many of the other ones. But there's a real um, there's a real pinpoint element to it. It feels it's actually one of the few that feels quite real because everything else feels very to use your term very hollywood it feels very over the top and and, and kind of like actually this is grounded this is jack and Walsh have to crawl around because they get taken by surprise and it's not one shot kills and everything like it, it does feel like two guys against three villains that that feels like a scenario that would be challenging for anyone yeah it just it just felt to me it just felt like it was two out of out of nowhere which i guess was the point but at the same time it just felt like we were just starting to know more about this wash character and then boom he's dead it just felt like unnecessary to me like i don't i don't know what his contract situation was or or what the issue was in that season but it just felt like this is the first season and you spend this time portraying him as a likable character and 
within the first handful of episodes, he's dead. If it would have took place like maybe another halfway through the season, or maybe like for the back half of the season, like maybe the last six episodes or something like that, eh, then maybe I could have, I would have probably liked it a little bit more. Poor Michael O'Neill for two episodes. <laughs> yeah, poor chap. Moving on then, uh, action sequence, best action sequence. Well, um, we talked off off air, and I told you that um, two of my answers were going to be the same. And even though I was stuck because I enjoyed the, the shootout of the dots in season one, I uh, I enjoyed the, the shootout in season nine where Jack cut Chain's head off. I enjoyed those, those scenes. But the shootout with Heller in season four, in my opinion, just for all the reasons I listed earlier, from the musical score to the the build up to the quote from Driscoll that he's doing it and all the way out until the guy comes out with Audrey and Audrey pulls out the knife that Jack had handed her earlier and stabs him in the knee long enough for him to let her go. And then Jack throws another knife and basically slits his throat. It just, it was, that scene to me was just, chef's kiss yeah it, it is wonderful and it's i think it's about 13 minutes long as well which is which is epic it's one of the um, longer one of the longer action sequences yeah yeah i i my little contradiction here on myself is about the the score and how the revenge of the docks is calorie at his best but i actually think that the best piece of music score comes in my favorite action sequence which is jack at the gas plant in season five and taking down bierko it is, I mean, it's the iconic 24 season five shot, but I think it becomes the iconic 24 shot, doesn't it? That Jack running out of the out of the plot with the explosions behind him. It's it's one of the more um, inventive, I would say. It's one of the more sort of uh, extravagant things that they did that also still kind of felt grounded and felt like, yeah, actually Jack probably could run away from an explosion as it was happening right behind him. It's it's the the tension and the build up of it. It's one of those things because you know you don't know if the nerve gas is going to get out. Like they might get this wrong, and it builds in this final eight minutes of an episode. It's it's magnificent, really magnificent. And again, I cannot overstate how good the music is. Really, just it's 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 worth eight minutes of your time to just listen to it on its own. It's so good. You've you've made it you've made it clear your affinity for Sean Callery's musical score. <laughs> we don't have a we don't have a music category, but uh, that would be my nomination. Uh, I don't have a worst action sequence either, sadly. I guess if I had to, if I had to pick, it would probably be the 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 last action sequence in season seven when Jack is going and he's gonna blow him up, and then the helicopters swoop in, and then Alan Wilson and. Uh, Carrie, is that her name? Cara. Cara, Carrie, whatever. Run into the building and then Tony shoots her and then he grabs Wilson and says, you killed my son, which I thought was an unnecessary plot point because, I mean, nobody cares at this point. And then, you know, the basically shooting Tony in the arm. And uh, if I had to to pick, I would pick that would probably be my top worst scene or worst action sequence 
probably followed by the Jack revenge spree in season eight where he kills all the Russians. I hated that. I just it, whatever. Yeah. I might throw I might throw in the car chase of Taryn. I don't know if that qualifies as a, an action sequence, but I'm gonna throw that in. That's the one I can think of. Best and worst story thread. Let's start with the best one. I mean I I can't not say the nerve gas because it was it was the longest I mean, I possibly could have went with the the Chang Audrey Jack storyline that basically went, you know, four or five sits and, and nine, basically. The nerve gas conspiracy, the there's so many layers to that conspiracy that it basically stretches out over like five seasons as far as the different bit players involved. And I just it got a little convoluted at times, but overall, I think that that was a, I didn't like the, the, the payoff, obviously, but everything leading up to the payoff, I thought was pretty good. Yeah. For me, it's the, it's the Chandler Plus Hotel and, and, you know, the virus in, in general, but actually specifically that stuff from 4am to 9am in the Chandler Plaza where everyone's infected and anyone, and, and most people are going to die and, Gael dies and you have the stuff with Michelle and the suicide capsules and all of the hotel guests who are in this horrible position Michelle's line about the, the children going to watch their parents die and and the old couple that are the first ones to come forward and take the suicide capsules and uh, Michelle's only on-screen kill being that innocent guy who just wanted to escape there there are so many wonderful elements to that and so much so much darkness that 24 it often it often goes to dark places by killing people and, and killing people in brutal fashions and, and, at, and at brutal times. But actually, this was one way, yes, it's killing people and, and largely it's killing nameless people. But it is very much that human element of watching the suffering. And, and that's how it that's how it felt. And that, that was kind of the key thing to it, wasn't it? That Michelle's in this situation of watching all these people suffer. She might end up doing it herself. Tony's Stuck from afar, can't do anything. Chappelle is moving on. Jack's off trying to trying to stop this from happening again. And it just feels the most human. The threat's done. Like there's no there's no lingering bomb to go off. It's happened. And now we deal with the aftermath. And that's something 24 doesn't often do it, it, in disasters like this. Look at season six with the nuclear bomb that goes off. It doesn't often stick around and say, okay, our threat happened. Our, our villain won in a scenario what happens to the people affected by it it so rarely does this and and i'm so i i i really really love going back and re-watching those episodes because i think it's so fascinating to see the way that they handle it yeah i mean there's just something about you know watching tv and even though i know it's television i know it's scripted it's not real but just something about on television watching watching elderly people kind of struggle like that, like they're about to die. It's just something that just hits you right in the right in the in the feels, so to speak. And it's just it's emotional. And plus, it prob it's probably uh, resulted in one of my favorite Tony Michelle scenes of the entire series when Michelle makes that phone call, letting him know that she was infected and him wanting to get her out of there and masterfully done. 
and and one of the the great tension builders of, and to another unreal Tony Michelle scene when she reveals to him that she's fine and that sort of 30 40 seconds between her opening the letter and her saying that she's fine where Rico Ellsworth's face is an absolute picture one of her best moments of I don't know what the answer is, 24. I don't know what the answer is until you tell me because I, from her reaction, it could be anything. Wonderful. A wonderful. Worst story thread. I feel like we're going to... I mean, you have... To be fair, you have... Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll start with this because you've mentioned that you haven't included this. So Dana and Kevin Wade, um, all in, all of them, at every stage of the entirety of season eight, both of them, and uh, Kevin's partner as well, awful utterly utterly awful that was bad there were you know i was tempted very strongly tempted to go with the uh the tony villain turn in season seven i was strongly tempted to go with that i was this close to going with that um but at the end of the day if i had to pick the worst story thread it would probably be wayne palmer season six the assassination attempt you know is he is he gonna die is he not gonna die you know he woke up from his coma oh he collapsed again so he's going back in a coma oh he dies off screen just the whole the whole wayne palmer storyline from you know the assassination attempt to the thing with his sister and the the camps and everything like that is just it just it compounded what was already a fairly mediocre season yeah i think that's just it isn't it like the assassination attempt is bad but for different reasons it's bad because of the tom lennox stuff the reed pollock stuff the the framing of assad it's bad for those reasons potentially killing wayne palmer as president that's on the face of it quite interesting but when you do get into the scenario of four hours later risking his life to get him out of the coma and then put him in this horrible it's so it's so sickening watching those two three hours where it's so inevitable what's going to happen he's going to collapse it he's gonna it's it's gonna go wrong and all of the times it, it does briefly where he loses consciousness or he's shaking or whatever it is it's it's yeah it feels very gratuitous it feels like the the show is really enjoying punishing this character who doesn't like Wayne's likable he doesn't deserve this and they they did they went as close to killing a sitting president on screen as possible without actually killing him on screen arguably this is worse like just kill him I know I know not but come on you can't tell me that putting this guy through this suffering and having it look so horrific and so sort of nauseating that can't be better that can't be better that can't be more that can't be more okay no i hated the whole the whole story i like wayne palmer as a character i didn't particularly like him as president yes i would agree with that okay we've come to the final category cliffhanger best one (sighs) i had a couple to choose from but if i had to go for the best one i'd probably go with the cliffhanger in season four um, faking his death, the phone call with, with Palmer, um, especially when you look at season, the opening of season five, 
and you realize that that's the last time that him and Palmer are going to speak on on screen. I mean, they do they do literally say that in their conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but but you know, at the time, you know, it's television. You think that you know they think it's the last time, but until he's brought back in, you didn't. You don't think that you know in the first five minutes of season of season five they're going to kill two main characters and put a third one in the hospital. So it's it's from that and Tony and Michelle kind of riding him off into the sunset and him thanking them for everything and and you know I think we I think we mentioned this before on the podcast but that would have been a perfect finality to the entire series if it was to if it was to go down like that because it just felt like you know how some series with the main characters when the series is over and they don't want to kill off the main character they'll have them fake their death and then you see in the closing moments of the series they pop up somewhere it's just i felt like even though i knew it wasn't the end of the series i felt like if they wanted to end it right here this would have been a perfect conclusion to the series which is why we'll get to in a minute, but we'll get to that in a minute. See, this is where I'm going to take issue with you selecting it as a cliffhanger because it's not a cliffhanger. It's it's not. It's 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 a actually it's a it's a wrap up. It's satisfying. It's a satisfying ending. Um, I just I can't accept that as a cliffhanger because, like you just said, and and you are right. We have talked about this before, and I do agree that you know we lose like season five and and the great part of season seven or whatever, but. Actually, if you end the show at season four, that's perfect. That's kind of the perfect, that's the perfect ending that like you can't, you, they never tried, they never managed to top that in future seasons. They didn't, but that's, that's, I'm choosing it as a cliffhanger because there were more seasons. Okay, fine. If yeah, it had ended in season four, then we'd be having a different <laughs> discussion. But since Fair it enough. did not end in season four, I'm choosing that as the cliffhanger. Yeah, for me, I mean, there are a couple for me. I've got I've got a little list here, but um, there there are three uh, significant ones, uh, which is uh, the taking down of Air Force One, the assassination attempt on David Palmer, which is a really epic way to end season two, um, and, I, and I'll throw in briefly as well. Jack dying in season two is fairly staggering. We talked about he's not going to die on the plane, and then four hours later he is medically dead. <laughs> um, doesn't last, but but that's a real kind of you what? Sorry, have you really just done that? Twenty four. So that's that. That's a great moment, but it's just so impossible to look past the Nina reveal. I know you hate it. I know you hate it, and I I can see your logic to it. <laughs> um, for listeners, Joel has just stood up and walked away from his desk. Um, I I know you hate the actual reveal, Joel, and that's fine. But I am I I absolutely adore it. I I, I find it so so good. Such a like. Th- once you do that, there are very few things that the show can then do that surprises you. <laughs> I think you've taken significant issue with my selection. Come on, Bradley. After after I've been talking to you the last year about this, and you still had the gall <laughs> and the audacity. Hey, it's my me- selection. After everything that we have <laughs> talked about over the last year, you still had the nerve to go with that as your cliffhanger. <laughs> Jesus I said, I mean, I said at the time when we talked about it, and you were you were fervently disagreeing with me. 
but I think even even when you incorporate the actual um the logical inconsistencies of Nina helping Jack relentlessly throughout the day and all the stuff that she does even when you take that into account the scene itself the the the, the suddenness of after the build up of Mason's the mole and all this establishment and it it does play into that that you think you can trust Nina and then to see the sort of not slow burn reveal but slow within the concept of the scene of sort of well we're okay where are we windows oh it's tony wait but who is this oh my god it's nina and 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 yeah i stop the madness (laughs) jesus stop it to be fair we had been fairly we, we 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 had been in agreement quite a lot in this episode so it had to come to an end at some stage yeah but then you had to end it like this (laughs) <laughs> is this actually the 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 best cliffhanger from 24 the, the ending to this podcast or the near ending to this podcast not that this is going to go up there with the worst jesus <laughs> well go on then go on then what is what is your worst cliffhanger well at first when we started talking about this i i put the 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 what happened in season nine at the end of season nine but then i thought about what I thought, well, technically, that's not a cliffhanger because that's the end of Jack Bauer's run on 24. So I will be cheating by putting that one. So that being said, um, I'm going to go with the cliffhanger at the end of season eight because at the time, uh, that was supposed to be the end of 24. And I thought that there was no real resolution because I mean, I think I've I think I've talked about this before during season eight that there was no final phone call between Jack and Kim. I mean, of course, you had that final call between him and Chloe. You know, you could have had that, and then you could have had him, you know, say, "Chloe, can you transfer me to Kim?" I mean, she's done it before. So I just thought that that was a big miss because, like I said at the time, this was supposed to be it. And I thought that, that was a big miss. I didn't enjoy him being on the run because at this point I was like, he's been on, he's been either on the run or captured at the end of every season. So it's like, at some point you got to throw him a bone here. Okay. I mean, he's been either on the run or captured at the end of every season. So I thought that that was just, it was another 24 trope. That they go that they go back to way too often, so I would probably say season eight, with a nod to season nine, because technically there was another season twenty four. So if I wanted to really, if I wanted to really cheat, I could still say season nine, but I'm not. I'm going to go season eight. Technically, yes, yes, you can. I mean, as we've discussed, I I actually like both of those endings, but fair enough. Um, my one is you won't be surprised to learn what season it's from, um, or which character it involves. Weirdly, uh, it's Philip leaving the phone that leads Jack to Logan in I think 4 p.m. Which I mean, it's just nonsense, isn't it? Like, why is Philip doing this? Why has he got Logan's number? Why does Logan? Why is he directing him to Logan? Why is Logan the one that knows all of this? What just why, 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 why for all of it? Um, I really, I really find that. I mean, it's the end of Philip's first arc in the series, and 
I'm not entirely sure what the point of that arc was, and I'm not entirely sure what the point of this ending is. It's it's a signpost. It's a signpost from Jack to Logan, and it's a great excuse to get Logan back involved. And you know, fair play, Logan's good in this season for three episodes, but yeah, not I mean, Logan, Logan's purpose in season six in season six is wasted by what happens in season eight. Correct. What happens in season eight makes his appearances in season six useless. There was no follow-up. It was just an excuse to get Martha to get her revenge, so to speak. That's, in my opinion, that's the only reason that he was even included in the season was to have some kind of payoff. Honorable mention, since we mentioned it already, to um, the uh, ending in which Wayne Palmer wakes up and calls Noah Daniels because, again, inevitable. I mean, it's. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to sound like menacing or what, but it just, it, it sounded forced. It was horrible. Surprise! I'm back. <laughs> it was horrible. I hated it. Yes. Yes, it was. That's it. That's the end of the categories. Yay! Which also means it's the end of the podcast, Joel. How do you feel? I feel bittersweet, Bradley, as I enjoyed the rewatch of 24. Um, I always enjoy going back and rewatching 24, no matter how many times we do it. I always enjoy going back and rewatching 24 because no matter how many times I rewatch 24, I always end up finding out something that I didn't know previously. No matter how many times I rewatch it. And that to me is the mark of a great series. Yeah. That, I mean, as I said before, I think that there are a lot of elements of 24 that, you know, two, the first half of three, six seven eight like that there, there's a lot of the show that i hadn't rewatched. there there are clips and, and things that i obviously remember but it, this is the first time probably ever and certainly in eight or nine years that i've sort of sat down and gone one to nine or one to eight and then nine added on to it now gone through it and and just watched the whole thing rather than picking out select episodes or select sections of episodes and, and run-throughs that i want to watch so it's been, um, yeah, this has been this has been really nice to go back and, like you say, learn a few things, see that a few things are better than I remembered and a few things are worse than I remembered. It's been uh, been fairly enlightening. Yeah, it. Um, I've been I've enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, some seasons were a tad bit worse than I remember, um, but there were quite a few that were better than I remembered. So what do you what do you, what do you think, Bradley? You think there uh, you think there might be any more? iterations of 24 no i can't see it Kiefer's Kiefer's 54 actually he's 55 now i think isn't he um it, it feels like it's beyond him you know if they were going to do more 24 you either you either have kate morgan take over which they didn't or you have Corey hawkins take over um and that i mean legacy was four years ago like there's now what are you going to do who, who are you going to have in it all all the all the original cast are are, are getting Beyond the peak age for an action show like 24, you'd have to bring in all these new people. You have to establish a new person at the helm. And we've already tried two, and we liked one, and and the other was in a really, really poor attempt. Um, and, and it looks like neither of them are are open to it. So, yeah, I think, I think you've got to... At some point, you've got to close the book. Like, you can't just keep doing things forever. You can't just keep bringing it back and 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 rebooting it and and doing whatever. There has to be an end, and I think I think we're at it. 
I do, I do remember uh, him doing an interview last year where he said he would uh, he would never say no to a return to 24 as long as the story was right. Also a very key part of it, isn't it? Because a lot of the story, they have got a fair chunk of story wrong in the last, let's, let's include legacy for the sake of this, this point, the last five seasons of the show, there's been a decent chunk of, of misstep story compared to the first five. Well, when, when they brought, when they brought him back the first time and live another day, I thought that a majority of that season was pretty good. Now, if they if they bring if they bring him back in a limited capacity, you know, for twelve episodes or whatever, I think he could possibly do it. Um, but you know, like you said, he's like what fifty five, so the clock is probably ticking. So if he doesn't <laughs> if he doesn't sign up for something that you know in the next year or so, uh, probably probably not going to see it happen, unless it's in more of a uh, cameo kind of role to kind of pass the torch or something. Because, I mean, look at all the revivals that we're seeing. You know, Criminal Minds ended, what, two years ago? And then the next year, they sign on for a revival. So, I mean, there's revivals happening all over the place, so. Hype for the CSI return. Yeah, CSI and, you know, Stabler's back. And, you know, it's, it's there's revivals happening all over the place. But it's just, it's a question of would a lot of the plot points that are that are critical to 24 work in this climate that's 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 the big issue because the world has changed a lot in four years the political climate has changed a lot in four years so i don't i don't know if uh, a lot of the stuff that 24 was known for would necessarily work in today's climate yeah i, I i'm not against it happening but i i just think You've got to you've got to have an end at some point. We've got nine no. mostly wonderful seasons. No, Bradley. I want Jack. I want Kiefer playing Jack Bauer until he's seventy. I want him. I want him with a cane walking up to stop that bomb, Bradley. I don't care. That would be good. I mean, if you turn twenty four into a comedy and made that happen, that would actually be. I think that would work. I want. I want. I want Kiefer to be acting as long as his father did. Fair enough. Fair enough, Joel. Well, that's it for the 24 Faithful podcast. Um, like we said, we've had a lot of fun revisiting all these seasons. It's been a joy to do these episodes every week and uh, arguing with Joel and, and, and Josh sometimes back at the uh, the first five and a half seasons. Um, you've enjoyed that, haven't you, Joel? Oh, can't you see it on my face? <laughs> I can. I can very much. Um, but yeah, I mean, the podcast might be back at some point in the future. I don't know what we'd discuss. There might be an iteration of 24. It might be some form of reflection. I don't know. But of course, if there is going to be a return of the podcast, you'll find out via the website 24faithful.com or at Twitter uh, at the 24 podcast. But thank you so much to everyone who's listened to us over the past year. Say It's been an absolute blast. Um, keep spreading the word about the show to anyone who has not yet seen it, because as we all know, it's wonderful. Uh, we all love it so much. And of course, do tell people about the podcast as well. They could listen to us ramble on for many, many episodes about uh, about this show. But um, but for now, from Josh, from Joel, and myself, goodbye.